This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today's discussion focuses on the true believer's demeanor in their purposeful life in living out the profession of faith. Good day, everyone. This is Pastor Matt Grimm with Planet Podcast. I'm joined again by Thad Keenel. What's going on, Thad? I don't know. <laughs> There's, you know, every time you ask me that question, I feel like I want to try to be original and then I go blank. But the, uh, I just had a nice meeting uh, with Aaron Brown, um, who is um, a missionary of types, right? Right. And uh, go ahead, give me a little bit of background on. Uh, what well, no, I, I, yeah, I, he's he's a mission, supported missionary of our church. He's his. Uh, brother Tim Brown was a uh, pastor in kind of my position here at the church, pastor of discipleship for a number of years and and stuff. So I just I know Aaron a little bit, and but I know he's he's a missionary. And so how was that conversation? It was great. Uh, yesterday after um, his he he taught in the same classroom that I did the, the, the hour before, right. and I our paths crossed, and so we struck up a conversation and. We got together today, and he was explaining um, exactly what he does, you know, in places like Africa and and around the world, really, and the people that he he, he gets in touch with, and he's doing things with Tyndale mm-hmm. um, over in the Netherlands. And I just think it's really neat, you know, just the the, the parts of the body of Christ, the different right. members, and the activity, and how we can all partner together to be accomplishing the mission of God. And it really shows that uh, wherever our heart leads us, you know, they'll direct through the directing of the Lord, there's, there's a place for the gospel. And, you know, I think it's just neat to, that we're not all doing the same thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was great. We had a little conversation today and I learned more about that. And I think it was good because it, uh, what he was explaining, which is relevant to, to our study here is about where he's teaching or where the, the Tyndale College is, is a very cross-cultural university. Mm-hmm. There's people from Africa. There's people from around the world. And, you know, some are very hierarchical, hierarchical other yeah. egalitarian. Right. And it's like, you know, you get those two two groups together and, you know, it's kind of like, are people offended pretty easily? Yeah. I know. And I was like, he's like, yeah, no, but with the love of Christ, you know, they, they work through a lot of that right. stuff. And so it's, it's, it's really neat. And so, Speaking of love, I mean that's what we've been talking about here in John, right? It is, yeah, yeah. Um, and last time we, uh, I think, got through verse twelve of chapter four, and we were emphasizing the the love of God, letting God define that love, uh, knowing the full character of God and in His redemptive purposes helps us know that. And the gospel itself, as we looked at, this is the love of God that He sent His Son as a propitiation for our sins, mm, yeah. and so. Uh, understanding that uh, God's acting in time through the Christ event, his life, death, resurrection, uh, ascension, and, and sitting at the right hand of God, ruling, all that um, displays the love of God, but then it has to be lived out in us. And he says, so therefore, we need to abide in his love, and we know that by loving one another. And we're going to continue that conversation uh, today as we try to get through verse 21, get through the rest of the chapter. But I think what we'll see is in these verses that evidence of what is it that evidence of – because earlier he talked about being born of God. Born of God, the love of God is in them. And so if there's, if we're born of God, if there is this born-again 
um, real conversion of faith, what are the evidences? And, and, and he's been talking about that, and we'll kind of see that clearly laid out, hopefully, here in verses 13 to 21. So why don't I read for us in, from the ESV, 1 John four thirteen to 21. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love, must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father God, we do come and ask for your spirit to bless us with the um, just inspiration of the outpouring of your word in our lives and in our discussion. We pray that we be honoring you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've uh, been looking at John and talking about this, um, one of the things we've been wanting to do is continue to bring up the idea of evangelism and sharing the gospel with people and the heart of that. And we've been talking about it, how it's done in word and deed in, in John, because he's very interested in the truth and and clearly explaining the gospel and who Jesus is opposed to the false teachings, but then he's also making sure that it's always done with love and that that brotherly love is being exhibited among Christians and that that would be witnessed you know, to the world. And so as we do that, and we start here in verse 13, he says, by this we know that we abide in him and him in us, because he'd been talking about before that the true Christian abides in the love of God. And so we start to, we're going to see here these three evidences of, of, of a convert. And the first one he says here, um, after he says that he is, that we are in him and he's in us, he says, because he has given us of his spirit. And so one of those first evidences of the, the new life in Christ is the indwelling of the spirit, right? And we see that in, in other places in the New Testament, right? Um, even in the John 3 passage where it talks about being born again, he says that which is born of the Spirit, you know, is Spirit. Yeah. The Spirit will blow where it wants, you know, and so right. forth. And so there we see it. We see it in in Ephesians 1 with the deposit of the Holy Spirit, uh, as the guarantee of our inheritance, right? Um, in other places, we see that deposit of the Holy Spirit. And so that that first evidence, I think, is very important. And it's important, as we even have talked about in other um, uh, seasons, uh, uh, in terms of of our theology of salvation, of knowing that really human humanity, who's dead in their trespasses and sins, apart from the work of the Spirit, you know, don't doesn't have the ability to confess Christ. Yeah, right. You know? So, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I just was going to ask a question that might be um, sometimes when I when you when I see this. Um, that he's given us of his spirit, and we say that we have the spirit that that lives within us. I know in my life, 
um, and whenever I was converted, I'm not exactly sure, but you know, from the time I realized the, the truth of this verse, for example, I didn't feel a physical change. I mean, I don't feel, I don't feel different, but do you think, is it a, is it a, is it a, is it really a physical thing? I mean, I understand the dwelling, but to me, would you relate this more to, um, now that our hearts have been open, we agree with the, his word of truth and that, and that we, we, we have a, a different type of draw to his truth and his word. Yeah, I think different. It can impact people differently, you know, in terms of that. But I think that's definitely one because that's actually the very second evidence of conversion is just what you said. The first evidence is the Spirit. The second evidence is confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, so he, whoever, um, and we have seen and testified the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So there in verse 14, we see that's the testimony of the apostolic community, which goes back to the opening of, of this letter in 1 John 1, right? But but what is the apostolic community doing? They have seen and testify this. And then verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, we know God abides in him. So we'll talk about that word confession in a minute, but, okay. but that's exactly what you're saying is right. one of the evidences of that spirit then becomes the confession. Without the spirit, we're not going to have that confession. So I think that is one of the things, but I think other people, especially... I would say people I know that have been delivered out of a, a, a kind of more extreme life of darkness. So you and I both grew up in Christian homes, you know, where there was worship and we were exposed to Jesus at an early age, whether we believed in, in him or not. We, we knew of him, and we kind of knew right from wrong from the Bible perspective. But then, um, and so it may not be as dramatic of a, of a change within us, but for others— there can be there can be that dramatic physical you know change where sometimes they're immediately delivered from alcoholism, not yeah, every time yeah, right. you know or or drug addiction or or maybe they're just filled with anxiety and then all of a sudden that anxiety not that's not though it's completely gone it's greatly reduced yeah. or or that fear of of um rejection or something that'll come up actually later in this the in this segment he talks about the fear of of having not been perfected in love the fear of punishment so sometimes there can be this really ease of being and so i know you know for me i would say even though it was never a time i don't remember believing in jesus i do remember coming to this saving understanding probably around 11 years old where um, i understood deeply my need for a personal savior of my own personal sin and and the need for that atoning sacrifice of Jesus as the only way to be made right with God and and you know I would when the pastor would you know would pray that invitation I'd pray along you know for probably six months every time you you know but there was really the, the after the first time I really did that I remember laying in bed at night and praying in a way I hadn't before and there was there wasn't this deep physical change but I I. Th- I really felt a different kind of peace in my life than I had a new understanding. That. It was a new uh, under, yeah. yeah, a new understanding, but also that 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 f- mental understanding also came with it, you know, just uh, a less of a sense of pressure on my whole life, you know, too, which which you know I think um, does have physical impact on it. Does us, it does? Right? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so if, you know if that to answer your question, I, I think that there is that, but. But I, when then we also see 
as as the Spirit does illumine our minds and our hearts, you know, when I start I started reading the Bible more, and man, it just started making a lot more sense to me. Not that it didn't make any before, but just the my ability to see things and have those connections start being made. You know, it really started for me in in middle school. I mean, it grew a lot more as I've grown more, but it, but really something something changed there. It went from just the little Bible stories that I had re- had in Sunday school to a whole different level. It's a lot you know? more and a lot deeper than just intellectual knowledge of the word, isn't right. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, I want to jump to fifteen, and this it says whoever then confesses because that second evidence we have is confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. And this word confess, it can be used a lot of ways in our world today. You know, you can, you can just admit that you messed up. You know, I, you know, confess, you know, so you get caught doing something and you confess, yeah, I did it. Um, or you confess, we can confess that, you know, I believe something. But I think at times, at least I can just think of it just in terms of mental assent. I can give mental agreement and assent to say, yeah, I believe that, or I'll confess that that's true. But I think this word here, especially in this context, means something more than that. Would you agree that confession here is more than just mentally agreeing to something? Yeah, for sure. And sometimes I'll hear the word interchange with the word profess, like to profess something, but to confess or to profess something or to profess uh, is basically to, to speak it right just to because you profess doesn't necessarily mean you confess in this in this sense yes it's exactly right. what you were saying right so did you happen to look up what the the Greek word is yeah it's it's homo legeo, uh and um, and so it in in essence it can mean confess it can be translated profess it can also be translated promise um one time it's even give it's translated as give thanks in 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 like the um it might be the King James um or acknowledge, you know, and so forth. And so uh, depending on the context it's in, it can, sometimes it can be used in, in like in other Greek writings, not New Testament. Um, it could be like in a legal statement to give a witness testimony, to, con, you know, confess in a legal setting. Yeah. It can be that. But it could also be, um, it could also be like a, a solemn statement of faith, too, that say in, in other Greek writings that say, yeah, this is what I'm, it's almost, I would say, Leaning a little bit towards, in that sense, almost like, yeah, this is what I'm putting my allegiance to. So it's right? a profession, but mm-hmm. it's it's combined with the assurance of of a deeper truth or, or belief, right? And I would say, yeah. it, I would say, I you know, from a biblical standpoint, it would be akin to like a a covenant promise, you know. So it's when you promise, you know, like in a marriage, you know, that I'm going to do, I, you know, that there's there's. It's a little different word, but it, it, it's it's along those lines because you're make it, it really is, you know, it has more the idea of a solemn vow. Yeah, to say I love you, and then to talk about the love that you profess at your marriage covenant contains right. all of this right abundance of of the purpose in God. And yeah. that's why John, in this whole letter, and and even following this, he says, you know, that if this is your confession, then you're going to love. <laughs> you know, right. and so so I think that that we when we see confess here that it really is that you know it is kind of that statement of faith. It's that profession. It's that we've talked about that change in allegiance. I, I used to be you know allegiance to myself or you know to my 
in my prideful ways or the following of other gods or or following this or that. And now, you know, we're switching in, in my allegiances to Jesus. And I confess that he's the son of God. He's He's... He's the one that's preeminent above all else. And if and so I confess that he has that rightful status in the world and he's got that rightful status in my heart. Yeah, well maybe that's the key word is allegiance because you can ask people what you know, what what faith are they, for example, and just in general conversation mm-hmm. and they'll 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 confess to be in I'm a, I'm a Christian. Right. Yeah. But then you look at, at their life and their allegiance is showing or demonstrated to be still to this world. You know, and so there's a there's a conflict there, and it's not that um, you can tell everything by by that, but the idea is that the the one that confesses is going to be demonstrated in a changed life that's going to resemble that right. of, of God, right? right? Yeah. yeah, and it really does, I think, you know, relate to what it is you're confessing. So you know, it says you're confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, um, and that's a loaded theological phrase, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, that, that Jesus is, yes, the second person of the Trinity, but he's also as the Son of God, as the incarnate is that firstborn, you know, over creation, that he he has that rightful status uh, as preeminent among, uh, of all humans, as well as the the second person of the Trinity, right? And so when you confess that he's the Son of God, you're saying, a lot. <laughs> yeah, you, well, you're you're agreeing that he's worthy to be worshipped. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So good. yeah, good. Um, so then the third evidence we we see here is is something he's been talking about all along. It, it, it's repeating what we we talked about some last week. But it, so we have come to know and believe the love of God has for us. Um, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Which he says. At the end of verse 15, God abides in him and he in God. And so that is that third evidence is this abiding in love, abiding in the love of God. And so the first is the receiving of the Spirit. The second is the confessing Jesus, Son of God. And the third is that outward expression that starts to manifest itself in love. So we can, so I think we can say in some ways it's the, the evidence is this uh, of conversion is this born again of the Spirit. There is the confession and there is this change in character right so this this the 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 spirit within us brings about this new allegiance and with that he brings about this work of the new character in us and that new character that is being worked out in us is this abiding in in love and so um so from there he then as he's done in Previously in the letter, he he starts to revisit this a little more intensely, but we have this kind of recapitulation of what this love is doing in us and what it starts to look like. And so, in verse seventeen, be, be, before you go to seventeen, okay. let me um let me ask you a question. Okay, because uh, we're on this side of the cross, and so we're New Testament believers, and we believe that we're saved by faith, and that the Holy Spirit is the direct cause of our conversion. Right? That it's without the without the work of the Spirit in our lives, we don't and cannot truly believe, right? Correct. Um, how, how would you word or describe the difference, if there is any, uh, for us um, on this side of the cross to the Old Testament saints and their, and their conversions? Uh, I, I believe they're justified by faith, just like we are, and that I apart from working the Spirit in, in there, I don't think Abraham—I think— it, the Holy Spirit had to do something in Abraham's soul 
just like he had to do in ours, you know, awaken our spirits from death to life. Mm-hmm. And so I think the difference is, is that for us is we know the the fulfillment of that promise is Jesus to deliver us from our sin and make us right with God. And and so for the Old Testament believer, I think they're they they're putting their trust in Yahweh. Um, they're putting their trust in Yahweh to forgive their sin and to accept the provision of the Old Testament sacrifices. You know, for that, you know, we now know them almost. And we would might say they were kind of almost like a placeholder. <laughs> you know, but it's, it wasn't the, doesn't mean that there wasn't real forgiveness happening there, right? But right. it was full. But we knew that it had to be completed in Christ. So I say the the biggest difference for us is 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 the revelation of Jesus. It's it's the what Hebrews says he's spoken to us in these final days through his son, Jesus, you know, they didn't have that. But I think the, in terms of the, for lack of whatever say it, the modus operandi of God within them would, I don't think would be any different. Agreed. Okay. So, yeah. uh, and that's great. So uh, what we are saying is that it's still the work of the spirit. Um, yeah. It was the spirit that changed the hearts of men in the old Testament and today. Um, so, that changes what some people would think that the Old Testament is all about justification by works. Right. It, it, yeah. If, if that if that's your perception of the Old Testament, I, I don't think you really understand the covenant God had with Abraham and his descendants, which which I believe you know Galatians and Romans makes clear. It does. Yeah, I agree. I right. agree. Yeah. So yeah. we have to we have to trust what the, right. what the New Testament yeah. has revealed to us about their justification through right. faith. Like, and it, yeah, and, I, and, I, and just so you know, like that would be like Romans chapter four is a good place for that as well. Yeah, yeah. and I, and I would say I I would argue all the way through um, chapter ten, uh, or you know, or even twelve. I mean, when you get you know you get one through eight, eight being the culmination of it. But even as you get in nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and you start to see as he talks about the um, the relationship between the Gentiles and the Jews, and what and and what he's doing in the grafting in and all that stuff, I think that's all related to that conversation, yeah. right? And so I think that it's when we try to particularize that too much, you know, which some of my people I love, my dispensational friends, do that. I I, I just think there's I don't I I look for more unity than to more continuity and unity in that mm-hmm. than the discontinuity that they find. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that that's the case. And, and actually John in his way is, is talking about that here because I believe he's really in a lot of this, he's he, as he talks about loving God and loving others, he's, he's reflecting back on, you know, like the Deuteronomy six in the Shema hero, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, Jesus, when asked about the greatest commandment, he adds Leviticus 19 of and love your neighbors yourself, right? And so John here in this whole discussion about loving God and that love of God is shown in this realization of Jesus uh, as the true expression of the love of God. And then he says, start, then he says, and if you have this, you're going to love one another, right? He's bringing those things together. And that is the Old Testament covenantal confession. It is, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so... Yeah, it's, so so to me, it's one. It, it, you know, it's it's the same Old Testament, New Testament. It's just its fullness is is displayed and revealed in Jesus Christ. So excellent, thank you. Yeah, that's great clarification. Yeah. Well spoken. So we have then in verse seventeen, he says, "By this love is perfected with us." Now we talked about this last week in terms of this whole idea of per, this love needing to be perfected in us. You know that it it really is the outworking and fulfillment. 
of this through our lives that that um, the love is perfected as we display it. It's not that God's love isn't already perfect perfect, but it is being perfected in us and with us as we are those signposts and light posts of his love to each other and to the world. Um, and But it's interesting here that he adds another condition to it. He says, so that we, have make, we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. And so, again, there's this whole idea of living it out in the world, but why do you think he says so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment? Well, if we're talking about the day of judgment, that's going to be uh, speaking of the end of days at, mm-hmm. at, at the end where all righteousness of Christ is going to be demonstrated in reward or condemnation right and in a sense in a final sense so right. i think of the the sheep and the goats and that i'm not sure if i'm taking this down the path that you're you're leading me to but this is just where my mind is going but um when we when we look at the the sheep and the goats there's a demonstration that's given or an example that's given about what people did you know when you give a cup of cold water in, right. in my name and or you know, if you, if you put a coat on somebody, you know, the things that you've done for, for your, for these brothers of mine, you've done for me, right? you know? And so it seems like it's a little bit of works, but what we, I think I can recognize in this now that we just read the previous verses is that's, that's the love of Christ that's worked out in us. So that, that evidence of, of judgment is not the work itself, but that work made manifest of the love of God. And that's why when Christ says, um, uh, you know, for all those people that just did those things because of their good works, he just basically said, I never knew you. Yeah, right. You know, these are, and this is really scary. And when it you is. think about terms of judgment, um, but where that gives us confidence is because when we have that man, of, that, that testimony of the spirit within us and that we know that we truly believe his word and that we love him, we are in full reliance on his righteousness in that day. Right. And so that gives us confidence that we're not relying on ourselves, but fully right. on him. And, and and I think some of that confidence too, as, as that produces itself in that change of character in us, right? That we, we can say, okay, I'm not really f- just fooling myself. We, 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 we see the work of the spirit in us. We see that change and we say, okay, you know, this isn't works, but it's fruit of the work of God. Which, which really, we should have read verse 18 as well, because 18 and 17 are linked together, okay? So if why do we need confidence in the day of judgment? Because if we don't have it, we might be full of fear. Fear that when God does come and judge us, that we may not withstand that judgment. But here in verse 18, he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so we know that it's that we are united to Christ. We're abiding in him. It's his love and his work that perfects us. But we abide, we trust in it, we rest in it, we dwell in it, we live in that. And when we have that, and we and that changes it, it, it enables our confession, our loyalty. Is, is to him alone, and our character starts to change. We start to see, as the longer we grow up in our faith, 
we have more confidence that God's doing that work. It's not me doing it. Christ finished it, but he's doing that work in us. It's being perfected in me. And the longer and more deeply that's perfected in me, the more confidence I have. So when the accuser comes, now who's the accuser? Satan. Yeah. So when he comes, what he wants to do is he wants to accuse us of not being worthy. Uh, of God's love. He wants to accuse us of not being able to stand in the day of judgment. But we look back to the evidence of our confession, the evidence of the Spirit and that transforming character in us, and oh, I don't I don't have to fear punishment. I still fear God, right? Because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? So I still have the appropriate reverence and fear of God, but I don't fear his wrath anymore. I don't fear his punishment. I, I more just recognize his holiness and wonder and might, you know, and that apart from Christ, I would be afraid of him. But now in Christ, I have love. And with that love comes confidence, um, confidence that he's going to finish the work that he started in me. As Paul would say, here John is saying, the perfect love casts out fear, uh, and fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Um, his love is being perfected in us. We are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. <laughs> you know, all these things relate together. So um, so when you think of the day of judgment, uh, just personally for Thad, you know, um, what? how does your mind go to the love of God? Yeah, so... For me, I have full confidence in, in my position uh, and my confidence is in what Christ accomplished at the cross right. because his promise is to those who believe um, that sin was judged on the cross and that he paid that ultimate price and he took that upon him, right? It says that he became sin for us right. um, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And right. that's... That's what's really interesting is that not only does he take my punishment there, but that his righteousness then covers me. So if if the first part is true, the second part also has to be true. So because of Christ um, and his accomplishments at the cross, when the day of judgment comes, I'm clothed in in that pure white garment, right? Right, exactly. And so so we can't disconnect verses 17 and 18 back to like verse 10 where it says this is love, not that we've loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, right? Um, it goes back to the confession we just talked about in in verse 16 that we, um, I mean, verse 15, where he confessed that Jesus is the son of God, right? So our, that our confidence is in the fact that we know God loved us. Our confession is, is in the fact that, that we know that Jesus is who he says he is, which then relates to verse um, 19 is he, he clarifies us this for us in this really short verse, but he says, we love because he first loved us. And so we see the priority of faith here is not in us, in our love. Our priority of faith is in Jesus love. Right. And in comparing this to the rest of scripture, um, we are unable to even love him you know, without that love first being made manifest to us, right? right? In our natural right. state, um, it talks about us being enemies of God, that we actually hate God. And you might be sitting out there, you know, listening to this and 
I don't remember a time that I ever hated God, you know, but that that's part of our fallen nature. And that's demonstrated um, in the life that our hate for God is realized when our sin is made manifest, right? <laughs> because yeah. the, the things that, the things that we do show our fallen state, right? But the redemption of God gives us a new heart to recognize that and that we want to follow and pursue his love um, even more because that love is being made um, perfect in us as the, as the scripture states. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's that initiating love of God that then produces love in us. And then that love in us will then be like what verse 20 is talking about is that um, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Now this We've we've heard this similar language before in a couple different instances. You know that we can't hate that that this um, we can't hate our brother and so forth. But there's another place where he uses the word liar in in First John. You remember where he he says that if we do something, we're a liar. Well, I remember him saying that we make God a liar. Okay. And okay. Just, just off the heels of that. Yeah, I think that, that it, maybe it is that we make God liar, but it's, it's no. I think they're both stated there, but I can't remember right. Directly, well, it, it's yeah. back in First John one yeah. where it says, "If we say we haven't sinned, if we say we're without, then we sin, lie, and the truth is not in us." Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. Right, but, but then we make God out to be a liar, right? right? <laughs> yeah. and, and so it's very interesting that that here he uses that he says there's another instance in which we can be a liar, and here it's. That if we say we love God, but hate our brother, we're a liar. Oh, so if if I say I believe in God and hate my brother, that must mean I'm exhibiting ongoing unrepentant sin. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I need to either go back and confess, um, or I need to look at my life and say, Oh, do I really love God? Because I think what he's saying here is you're just saying it with your mouth but you're not demonstrating it with your life, which means you're not bearing fruit, um, which means that um, maybe you don't really understand what true confession is, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's true. So, um, so therefore, the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen is not able to love God who he's not seen. Now, they, they, we talked about that some last week, too, and like, why, why bring up this you can't see God? Well, it has to do with we— which is God is spirit, and we we see and experience the love of God through his body now, right? Um, and it just says the disciples experienced it through Jesus himself, who they could take, uh, who they could touch and see with and with their own eyes and touch with their own hands and all that, right? So we have the body of Christ now. Uh, so when we say we love our brother, um that it goes back to what you're saying in terms of how we that has to be shown you know i can say the words and we've talked about this in previous episodes like we use our wives as an example we can say the words but if we're not demonstrating it we're going to soon realize that they're not feeling loved <laughs> right yeah. And, well yeah exactly i just was thinking you know my mind is continuing to run as you're saying such great statements here but um that when we say we love, but we hate our neighbor or whatever is, uh-huh. or we demonstrate that, um, it, it says that we're a liar. Um, therefore, we see this parallel between love and truth. Yes. 
That's right. Yeah, and for John, the two go hand in hand. I mean, those are the two those are two big things that that really are dominant themes here, along with the light darkness that that comes out here, which really is the revealer of truth and the revealer of love. You know, if you're if you're not if you're um, if you don't have a, the truth, you're in darkness, and if you're not loving, you're in darkness. You know, as well. But they do go together. Why? Because word and deed were always meant to go together. That's what covenant is, right? Mm-hmm. Covenant is is that allegiance, but that allegiance always comes with revealing itself in that action. And that's where we know that without the Spirit and without the love of Christ in us being united to Him, we don't do it. So the, so that's where our, our faith is in the priority of God loving first. Uh, and so and it's, it's through that that we have our justification. There's nothing I do to contribute to my salvation, but the evidence and fruit of that does show itself in a life that is changed and different. You know, and that's where... Um, when we repent of our old way and believe in Jesus, we then start to begin that sanctification process, that, that process of becoming holy. We are already set apart in Christ, but our life will more and more, as we work at our salvation, as we're delivered from daily sin and daily temptation, um, we are handed over to the new creation, and that new person grows in us, which, as we talked about, gives us more confidence. It, it's not like our um, and our and our faith is more realized and actualized within us as we do that, which shows itself more and more in a life of love, uh, which he's saying here. And so, verse mm-hmm. twenty-one: This is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So he kind of sums it all up in that in that one statement, which what I which I think is why go you know, back back. This is why Jesus adds that you know to the Shema. Uh, back in when he's asked about the greatest commandment, he cannot say uh, he cannot just say love God without bringing up the Leviticus 19 as well as love your neighbor because he knows that the the whole law is summed up in that that if we we God um, elected the nation of Israel when he chose them for a purpose to be a blessing to the nations. He, and he gave them com- the command to not worship any other gods, right? He also then gave them the command, says, this is how you're going to love one another, by not stealing, murdering, cheating, adulterizing, all those kind of things, that that life of devotion to God is shown in community for love for one another and well-being and flourishing of the whole life. Yeah, if we're just going to say that we love God, but we can treat our brother however we like, we're just saying that we're agreeing to the first four commandments, and that's all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's it. So, yeah, right. and that's why that's why they're summed up in those in those two. Yeah. Um, it's interesting also, um, as, as important as it is to, to, to love God, um, they're— in the in the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. the there's sixty percent of them are how we treat right our neighbor, right, yeah. and our and our brother, it's, and and it's because there's a a practical side to it, yeah. Right? And the the last one, I believe, being um, coveting is a, is more of a condition of the heart. You know, if I steal, I'm stealing something from right. you, and I can hurt you. But um, the covet is an internal thing, but right. that's still against it's still against my neighbor. It is, it is, and it really is the. It's it's the very thing that you know God continued to to warn the Old Testament about. It's the thing that God uh, Jesus warns us in the Sermon on the Mount all the time is our motives and our, where our heart is. Mm-hmm. You know because that's the first thing that starts to lead us astray, and that's the very thing that that the Holy Spirit needs to come in and work upon us. You know to make us new. 
that without the Spirit, our heart won't be in the right place. Um, in Old Testament language, it's the circumcision of the heart. You know, the uncircumcised heart um, is, is, does not, is not with God. It's the circumcised heart that, that is needed, you know. And so with us, it's unless we're born again, unless we're born of the Spirit, you know, we still have that old dead heart um, that, that needs the, the fleshly part of it cut away and, 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 and brought back to God. Right? So what do you say to me um, in, in my world when uh, I've had somebody that, that's really, really wronged me and I'm really struggling uh, with a spirit of forgiveness, uh, there's there's nothing there that want that I want to forgive. I don't want the relationship back, um, and I'm saying this in a little bit of a hypothetical uh, situation. But the idea is, I, I don't want to, yeah, you know, and I don't I don't feel it, you know. So how how can I manifest that that love of God? I truly believe that I love God. I know that Christ forgave me. Um, now what? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I feel you. I know what, I know what that's like. Um, I think what I do is when I look to my confession in Christ, um, and, and faith and, and see him, I, I remember that I'm now his slave. Mm. I'm his servant. And so even though I may not feel that desire, I say, but that's his desire. And so his desire needs to become my desire. And so I pray and ask that he that he would um, give me the strength to love um, someone who I don't want to love, uh, and and so and I think that he will do that. Uh, and I, I recognize that it um, there's still this in those situations the the habits and memories and. Um, Ways the things that have affected me in the past are still there, so I probably have been hurt by someone in the past, and and in that and those unresolved issues, those things, I let the 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 way of the old man deal with that, and now I hear him that situation again, and the old man wants to deal with it in his way, and so I need to pray for the spirit to let the new man grow. And I need to ask for peace, love, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control with that. And that in, the, in that present moment, I know it's available to me through the Spirit, and I just need to let it – I need to let him do that work and acknowledge that I'm the slave um, in the hands of a loving God and a big brother who's going to lead me down the right path and trust in him and and, and – um, not trust those old feelings and those old things that that the old man wants to do. Yeah, do you think there's part of it that's a realization um, or a lack of realization of just how desperate we were before the love of Christ found us? Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, am I really going to take all these blessings of God knowing that I deserve none of them. Right. And and then, yeah, this person over here offended me. They they probably aren't deserving of it either, but yet they they are still one of God's children. Yeah, right? I mean that's they, right. they they could be. So that it's like let's just you know, if you put it in terms of money, let's just say that uh um 
being saved meant that you get a million bucks. Okay. Okay. But you only get the million bucks if your worst enemy gets 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 a million bucks too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, well, I don't want I don't want him to have a million bucks. <laughs> you know. But but wait a minute, you're not deserving of it either. I, there, right. You know, sometimes when you put the money situation into it, it's like, well, yeah, okay. But so Jesus I'll, had this very conversation with a fair in a Pharisee's house, right? The woman comes and and comes at his feet. The 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 unrighteous woman, you know, comes oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and she washes his feet with his tears and all this kind of stuff. And the the Pharisee is like, "What do you do? If you do who she was, you wouldn't be letting her do this." And then he tells her the parable of the the money lender, mm. right? <laughs> and he says, "Which one, you know, um, forgave the greater debt?" Right. You know, yeah. it's that very it's the it very is. conversation, it and is. that's what we have to say is that I mean, we. Do we see ourselves as the one with the greater debt? Yeah, absolutely. So part of it is a realization um, that we are called to obedience, and that's what you mean by being a servant of right. of God, right? That that call to obedience means right. we we have to serve, and that serve that serving has to come in love, and that should be made manifest when we understand just how much God loved us, right? And, and, you know, I, I think of the words that Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, what's dying there? I think, well, dying is that old man. It's, it's, it's recognizing, you know, that old man is, is crucified with Christ and mm-hmm. that, those old ways. And so um, even though it doesn't seem natural to do, the, to do the forgiving thing, you know, or to take the position of humility, right. you know, where I think of Philippians 2, where Jesus didn't grasp or hold on to his deity in the sense, but he took the form of a man, not that he gave up being God, but he gave up that position and status and the rights, you know, to judge every human sin that came through his path as he was incarnate. No, he gave up the right to do that. He, he lived as a human and identified with us in every way. And it was through that humiliation, through which ultimately meant his death on the cross, that it was then, it was after he went through all that, that his name was exalted above every name. You know? And so am I willing to go that same path? Yeah. You know, am I willing to, to experience that humiliation and, and swallow my pride and love the guy I don't want to love. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a good question, and it's a it's a very interesting word picture when we when we look at it in terms of what Jesus did and and his life here on earth. Even his closest friends betrayed him, mm-hmm. you know. And so he had he literally was the only person that had the right to to not speak to anybody else after that, right? Cause <laughs> right. he was, he was perfect in all well, his yeah. ways and they, and they still rejected him, denied him, right. you know, mistreated him or, or whatever. And he besets his love yeah. upon them and continuous act of forgiveness. Right. And, you know, tells Peter, you know, I know you're going to betray me, but I have prayed for you that you, yeah. you know, that your faith will not fail. And um, when you have that in your corner and you recognize that that's why we have, that's why I think they use the word um, or the term advocate, Mm-hmm. You know, the advocate with the father, the one that right. stands in between us, right. you know, because yeah, we are worthy of, of that punishment. So, yeah. um, um, in likewise manner, it kind of melts our hearts when we right. think of it in those terms. If we're, if you're holding the grudge, let me tell you, you know, if you're holding the grudge and you think in terms of exactly what Christ did for you, it makes it really difficult to hold on to that, to yeah. that grudge. I mean, you'll, because you'll end up being convicted by your own self-righteousness at that point. Right. You know, and this is about Christ and his righteousness. 
That's right. Yeah. There's a, a, I've been listening to a book recently. I had somebody refer to me to a book and I had a, I decided to listen to it instead of read it, but it's, uh, I recommend it. It's at least I haven't got through all of it, but it's by um, Dan Allender. Um, he's a theologian and um, does, does counseling as well, but he, um, it's a book called Leading with a Limp. Um, and it's just looking at our leadership style and how Jesus leads and how he calls us to to follow his example. But in that, he he was talking about how Jesus was betrayed, just so, just like you were talking about betrayal, and and that that he used two examples: one being Judas, right, who betrays him um, and denies him, and but it never gets reconciled because you know he takes his own life and and all that. But then you have another example of that of Peter. Right, who he confesses him, but then later he denies him. Right, and what? And then we have the whole story of how they restored. He restores Peter, and and so he he very graciously, um, after Peter's denial, restores him back into right relationship. Um, and how you know Jesus didn't need to do that, but he did. And and it was it's a great um, example of love. That conversation, which I think is is recorded in John John's Gospel, right? The the three loves, you know, the the love. Right. The, do you lo- ask question? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Um, go feed my fish. And and my so sheep, yeah, my, I, my, my, yeah. Go feed my yeah. fish. <laughs> feed, feed my sheep. Yeah. And so yeah, I think that's a that's a good that's a it's a great you know to think about. Um, you know, John, who wrote that gospel and has that story, is the same John. You know, here writing this and talking about loving one another, uh, and and so and God who loves first, uh, and we see that example in Jesus. It's kind of interesting too, you know, because John calls himself the, the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, <laughs> so he he understands that deep right. sense of relationship and and need for a savior, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's what we mean that you need a relationship with God because right. that relationship is is love that's manifest. So, yeah. so that's great. So, um, any final thoughts on this, or I mean, uh, we're, I, I mean, we're going to go into chapter five, and we're going to say some more of the same things about this love, aren't we? Right. Yeah, and and I think what we'll continue to see that as we do this, that John keeps emphasizing the gospel, and then he's going to actually start talking about faith as it relates to this, and so. Um, so I think it's important that, especially as we as we put this in the context of evangelism, all these things we're talking about the the, the centrality of Jesus in all this becomes is is so important that as he talks about loving God and loving others, that that love is always wrapped up and defined in in Jesus as the Son of God, and so we'll we'll look more at that next week as we get into chapter five. Okay, sounds good. Have a good day, everybody. Bye. Next time, we will explore how the children of God have victory and overcome this world in which we live. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.